feel he's that much older that he could sort of engage with me more and so running up to give a kiss before the race just immediately it puts life in perspective and the situation you're in into perspective and relaxes you but also gives you a little bit more motivation you know you you realize that what you're doing um, is demonstrating I guess a, a healthy and active lifestyle to your young one and whilst he's not really able to fully comprehend what's going on at the moment. I think just seeing runners go by and whatnot, it's just starting to plant, you know, some curiosity as to <laughs> what it's like and starting to build that love for the outdoors. And I've really enjoyed all of the races that I've done. And I feel like there's less pressure because I've got a new, a new body really that I'm working with. So I'm not comparing to previous results in racing or in, in training. It's kind of like the, the slate being cleared and everything I do is from a new baseline. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello everyone. On this episode of the RMA podcast, I speak to Jessica Stenson, formerly TrendGov. Jessica is one of Australia's greatest runners, particularly over the marathon distance, having competed in many major competitions around the world since her debut marathon in Nagoya, Japan in March 2012, where she earned a spot on her first Olympic team. In this conversation, I chat to Jess about her sidestep from a traditional sporting pathway like netball to running in her early 20s. We discuss her journey to qualifying and competing in her first Olympic Games in London through to claiming the prize bronze medal in the marathon at the Glasgow Commonwealth Games in 2014 and the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in 2018, as well as her second Olympic experience in Rio in 2016. I talked to Jess about her rise in the sport and how becoming a first-time mum last year in 2019 has changed her perspective on the sport that she loves. We discussed the challenges of motherhood through her own shared experience, from returning to training and competing after birth, sleep deprivation and its impact, to breastfeeding before and after competition. We talked to Jess about what she loves about motherhood, her relationship with her new body, and what she is looking forward to as she combines both her loves of motherhood and running into the future. We also discuss the story behind her business, Rundies Undies, a sports underwear business that Jess started with her husband, Dylan, and her brother, Jack, in 2016, which had invaluable support and feedback from the RMA community. As part of this podcast too, Rundies are offering all listeners 20% off for the month of November using the code rmapod at rundies.com.au. 
This conversation is fun and candid and you will love hearing how Jess has navigated this time becoming a mum along with juggling training and competing to be her best as both a mum and an athlete. I hope you enjoy this conversation. As always, please rate, subscribe and review and share this conversation with those that you know. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi Jess, welcome to the RMA podcast. Thank you, I'm really excited to be here. So let's just talk a little bit about how life has been for you the last few months. Um, Obviously the whole world went into lockdown um, and what was that experience like for you and your little family? Yeah, look, I guess it was just a shock initially like it was um, for everyone and we really didn't know what was going to happen. um, We sort of imagined the worst and uh, that was involving a a lockdown and big events being cancelled and you know obviously a lot of people catching (laughs) COVID and and that is what happened Uh, so I guess the way it changed our lives we uh, just before the lockdown happened had traveled um, to the uh, Air Peninsula so that's about seven hours um, away from Adelaide for the weekend and we ended up actually basing ourselves there for a while. So for me, I was in marathon preparation and ended that preparation. We decided um, I wouldn't, <laughs> well, we wouldn't be traveling overseas and, and then the Olympics were subsequently um, postponed. So we ended up staying in the country for a couple of weeks, which was nice in that it was just quality family time. Dylan was still working, but working from home. Uh, We were on the coast, so we still had the ability to just go and get some fresh air at the beach and felt somewhat relaxed and just, I guess, gathered more information about what was going on. And by the time we came back to the city, it was a different place. It was really unusual. Um, We arrived home to no sounds of aeroplanes, no traffic noises. Uh, It was a bit eerie, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, you felt that it was like life had sort of changed as we knew it. I know that's how it felt like in Sydney. It was like a ghost town. We left Adelaide um, to spend this weekend in the country as it's, you know, normal bustling Adelaide self and came back to the shops, you know, the certain aisles being empty, um, obviously hand sanitizer everywhere and (laughs) big signs on windows and sadly, you know, walking down you know, streets where a lot of shops had closed already and they had big signs saying, you know, due to COVID, we will be shut indefinitely. And that's sort of what really broke my heart, just imagining the families that had been affected by that. (laughs) Yeah. And how did it feel like being a mum and having to go through something like this? Because this would be something, well, no one's really experienced before, but I guess being a mum to such a young baby, I mean, Billy's 11 months now, how did that feel to you? I think 
I was actually really worried in January when the bushfires were happening. As a mum, that really shook me up. I was thinking, you know, we've brought a baby into this world and, um, you know, the, the climate changes that are happening and is this the new reality that every summer, you know, we'll be dealing with these situations and uh, I'm a big animal lover. So those scenes and seeing how, you know, the impact on the, the communities that were affected, it was, that was really tough. So then when uh, <laughs> COVID and, and uh, you know, the, the lockdown and everything happened, I guess, we had all developed a bit of resilience and that, I guess, coming together from the, the bushfires that we just jumped into that mode again. As a mum, it's been tough in that I think about Billy's future, but it's also been a blessing that Billy makes us smile and laugh every day. And I couldn't think of any better way to, to spend our time indoors than with a beautiful little, you know, child that's just innocent and, and going about his day and and soaking up everything around him it's, it's going to be quite strange telling him one day that he was born into this crazy year <laughs> yeah so much has happened the fires and now corona like yeah that's definitely something to look back on um but hopefully he'll have lessons from you that he's learned through this time as well as he grows up mm. and you'll be able to tell him you know how you got through it together and you know obviously there's turmoil and and distress in our world at the moment but there's also the um, flip side of that where people have been brought together in a special way in their family units um, yeah. that you would never really have ever had that opportunity before. And I think just that uh, time where we couldn't see family as we normally would and friends, it makes those moments so much more special now. You know, we'll be going to our first wedding in December. I guess we'll be so grateful to be able to go to a, go to a wedding and yeah. even... I don't know, things like Dylan working full-time during this phase, he's been spending a lot more time at home and that's been amazing for Billy. He's really been able to, you know, connect with his his dad when otherwise Dylan probably would have been racing from work to training and, and getting home as Billy's about to go to bed. For me, I was training really hard for the Hamburg Marathon. I got to take a breather and ease back. So I've been able to just play with Billy and um, spend more time with him without that fatigue of, of marathon preparation, which has been such a, a special time as well. Yeah. And let's talk about that. So you were trying to qualify for the Olympics at Hamburg where you were working towards that. How did that make you feel knowing that at this stage that was taken away from you? Like, did you, you know, um, anguish over that or was that something that you just went through the motions with and thought, oh, well, we'll try when we're able to? Fortunately, I was able to just sort of go through the motions. I think I've got a really good support network around me and it was a goal to qualify for Tokyo, but it was a pretty out there goal. I mean, it was, I had a short, I guess, window of opportunity to qualify and when there wasn't an opportunity to run a marathon, I, I had the opportunity to get my head around that situation and I guess become comfortable with the idea that I wouldn't be able to run a marathon within the qualifying period. So that was probably the hardest time. And then when the marathon, uh, sorry, when the Olympics were postponed, I immediately did feel sad for the girls that had qualified and were 
starting to prepare for the Olympics because I know for some of the girls it's their first Olympic team and to know how they might be feeling and to just have their plans you know stripped from under their feet I guess that was the hard thing imagining how they'd be feeling initially because I was just feeling fortunate that I was healthy and and training and and with my baby and as I said it was a goal that I had but I always knew that it was going to be really tough to to qualify but I was still open to you know having a go yeah yeah and I was excited for you to have a go like (laughs) and to see you come back from having a baby around 12 months ago to trying to qualify you know I think that's pretty special to watch um (laughs) so anyway we'll watch this space because it's not over (laughs) time to come so but you know maybe it is you know, maybe that's just what's meant to be at the moment and different lessons and different things you might learn through this experience of having this time um, might make you stronger for when you do make your comeback. What kind of things keep you motivated at the moment to keep training and getting out there anyway? Well, it's, it's prompted me to revisit why I run. Um, Even just pregnancy and and childbirth in the first place, you know, you, you have a, a decision there do you, do you want to keep running do you want to put the effort into to get back to where you formerly were or would you like to just run casually would you like to just focus on motherhood and not run and it really I guess reminded me of why I love running and it's the people in the sport and that connection with the community so I love training with my squad and that was tough when we weren't able to train together for a while there but I also love the outdoors and getting out amongst nature I really love the feeling I guess, of of being fit and healthy and all of the other lifestyle choices that you make as a runner to help you feel better running, like, um, yeah. you know, eating a quality diet and whatnot. And I guess that process of setting yourself a goal and and working out what you need to achieve it, and it's so empowering. And I think I gain a lot of self-confidence from realizing that you can break a big goal into smaller chunks and just work away at them and it just generally makes me feel positive to run so it's all of those things it really is just I started running when I was very young for a reason and playing sport and it's it's all of those factors that that keep me motivated and I am really driven by my goals to represent Australia because running for my country is one of my favorite things to do I really there's something special about wearing the Australian uniform and knowing that you're representing everyone who's supported you along the way. So the idea that I could hopefully run for Australia again keeps me training at that um, more intense level, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess too, when you strip it back and you really strip it back to, okay, why do I run? Like that keeps you motivated, that keeps you focused Mm. Um, or you wouldn't do it. <laughs> like you wouldn't get out there and do the hard sessions and do the hard work, especially when it really is intense. If you didn't love it, exactly. You know, you'd, you know, you'd and think I think that, that excitement of exploring what is possible is really motivating as well. Mm. And coming back from um, you know having given birth and and realizing that there are some new strengths, you know, whether they be mental or physical, and just seeing what what they'll lead to it it is um, motivating in itself hundred <laughs> percent and and we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast about you know what strengths you might have gained through becoming a mum and how you can use that 
in your running, but let's go back to the beginning. You talked about what you love about running and you love being outdoors. You love being in nature and you've, and you've done that since you were young. So what was it like for you growing up? Well, I grew up in a country town called Narracourt, which is in the southeast of South Australia, near, I guess the nearest city is Mount Gambier. And it's a very active sporting community, farming community, and also a lot of um, vineyards and, and good red wine and whatnot down in the southeast. But I, for as long as I can remember, always wanted to, I guess, reach my potential in, in whatever I was doing. I had this instilled desire to sort of be my best and so I'd work hard towards whatever goals I had and I really loved netball Mm -hmm. I also did as a young girl ballet and gymnastics and then played basketball and tennis but netball was probably my number one passion until the age of 21 I played in the center court and just dreamed of you know playing for the Thunderbirds one day but I did run a lot on the side throughout school because our um, our deputy principal Mr Thompson he was really passionate about cross country and we had a pine forest around our school and the annual cross country event was a, a big deal and I naturally I guess would would have success in the cross country but not in the sprints on sports day so that endurance I guess um, characteristic was there from a younger age and I ran it was probably in year five I started doing some 800 meter events and then by year seven I went off to my first um, national cross country and the overriding emotion I guess when I think back to that was nerves I just I really did put a lot of pressure on myself and that's probably why I preferred netball because I just mm-hmm. didn't like that uncomfortable feeling of the impending discomfort <laughs> of running because I did always push myself really hard but I loved the feeling afterwards and uh, I can remember that particular nationals it was Yarra Band in Melbourne and my family had traveled over to watch me and uh, yeah I just I was ecstatic after the race and then went on to sort of compete at the nationals throughout high school and so it was always an important part of my life but netball was where I I guess put a lot of my time and energy because I saw that as being more fun rather than a nerve-wracking sport. (laughs) And do you think it was more fun because you kind of had that team around you like with netball you've got a whole team and I guess when you're playing the center court too you're just it's reactive. You're just running around and around and around and you've still got that endurance component that you need to play in the center court, which you obviously had, but when you're lining up for a cross country event and it's just you on the start line and there's no team as such, it's just you, you and the gun. And I guess those feelings of, you know, doom, as you said, impending doom to get to the end of that race. Like, was it because you had, the team aspect of netball that appealed to you more than the running? I definitely think that was the case. And, you know, throughout my junior years, we managed to win a few premierships and just that excitement of, you know, going into finals as a team and celebrating the wins. And I think I really did see running as an individual sport. And it wasn't until my later high school, early university years that I started to acknowledge that running could be a team sport as well. So in 2000 and 
Uh, let me think. Yep, it was when I was in year 11. So 2004, I went on my first world cross-country trip as a, you know, a high school trip to France. And I loved everything about that and the whole team feel. And then in 2010, I, I was fortunate to make the world university cross-country team. And again, travelled with a big team of, you know, females and males. And that trip, I think, is what really sold the idea of, um, I guess, putting a lot more time and energy into running to try and, you know, continue at the highest level because I will make it to, um, you know, a world championships or an Olympics or Commonwealth Games because I just absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah. And as mm. you say, when you went across and did those world cross-country events and the other events that you were part of a team, it's that camaraderie and getting alongside each other. And, and I guess helping each other to achieve our potential as well. It is a team sport and working with your coach and your training um, club that mm -hmm. you work with, if you didn't yeah. have those people around you, the experience would be so much, I don't know, less exciting, less motivating. People are there to help drive you and that passion. Yeah. And I think each, so I've done 12 marathons now and for each marathon I can name a couple of people who have sort of been my key training partners and just having that little team and when you're out there and the going gets tough in the marathon you're thinking of them and I guess you're representing them too and you're so thankful for all of the support your team has provided in the, the lead up it just gives you this extra level of strength because you, you aren't out there alone it takes a lot of people to to get one person to a marathon start line a hundred percent so what actually led you to the marathon distance from running cross country? What made you think the marathon would be a good idea? Well, my coach, Adam, so in 2008, I stopped playing netball to focus more on running and see if I could reach my potential in running. And that's when, yeah, Adam started coaching me and he encouraged me to write down my goals and I think I wrote represent South Australia as my big goal and he questioned that and said is that really your ultimate goal and I said oh since I was a young girl and since going to the Sydney Olympics I've always wanted to you know become an Olympian but that's you know that's unrealistic so I, I didn't think I'd write that one down and he said no write it down you know you've got to share what you really want to achieve with me and we'll, we'll work towards it and as the years went on he said look I, I just see that you're natural strength is endurance and I think the marathon is where you'll end up eventually and I laughed at that idea because I'd watched the marathoners um, go by in the 2006 Melbourne Commonwealth Games and oh, <laughs> I, I felt sorry for them I was like that looks brutal <laughs> um, but at the same time I'd seen Karen McCann's finish there and that still gives me tingles you know that was such a special moment but I really thought that event looked beyond my capacity and anyway Adam just kept on planting I guess little ideas along the way and in 2010 I did my first half marathon and I absolutely loved it I went into the race really open-minded I just remember being excited thinking who knows what this is going to be like and yeah I relaxed out there I found my rhythm it was on the Gold Coast so you've got that 6am start the sun comes up and the buzz of the Gold Coast I just I was sold and so opportunity came up to run a marathon in early 2012 with the 
you know, out their idea of trying to get under the qualifying time of 2.32. I just, again, I was sort of excited by that challenge. I thought there's nothing really to lose here. And uh, Adam started just progressing my training uh, to gear it more towards a marathon uh, distance. And so, yeah, in March of 2012, I ran my first one. It was just my coach, Adam, and I in, in Nagoya in Japan. And that was a fun experience in itself. Just mm. we didn't realise, I guess, yeah, yeah, we would feel so lost there. I, I thought there'd maybe be a little bit more English spoken or English on the menus. I remember going out for dinner the night before and not understanding what, what was on the menu. So we just ordered something that looked like noodles and it yeah. was chili, garlicky ramen broth with all you can eat kimchi. So pickled spicy cabbage and spicy garlicky broth. And I just downed it. I was, I've got to get carbs in. All I knew was I needed carbs and Fortunately, it, it was fine, but I would never eat that the night before a marathon. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a fun time and um, it, was, it was a real adventure. And I went out there on the morning of the race and it was cold and there were just girls everywhere. It's a women's only race. And I remember just the buzz and the energy and just going through the process that we'd talked about. You know, every 5Ks you have to try and take on some fluids and try and take a gel at certain points. And I was really just focusing on what I had to do at each stage of the race. And even yeah. though my body felt like it was sort of, I guess, falling apart at certain points, I was very inspired by that idea of potentially being able to make an Olympic team. And I think at halfway, I remember my shins were sort of cramping up and I thought, oh, this probably isn't a good sign. I've still got <laughs> 21 odd kilometres to go. But then I saw Adam at one point and he said I was on pace and got this second wind. And I remember my hamstrings twinging like crazy, but I, I ran that race on, on heart. And, uh, yeah, to get to go to London was was really special. <laughs> so what time did you end up running at that race? It was 2.31.12. So yeah. just not the 2.32. <laughs> and you finished, I mean, you would have been so elated. I mean, especially when halfway you were thinking, oh, not sure. But how did yeah. you turn your mind around from that not sure to I'm definitely going to try and do this? I think part of me thought maybe I'll get through this discomfort and I guess being a physio I was thinking okay well, if my shins are tightening up maybe I need to push off more like use my calf muscles more and so I was thinking of what I could try and do to you know take the load off my um, tibialis anterior muscles at the front and then when my hamstrings were going I was just thinking okay don't take the corners sharply you know I've just got to ease around these and and then I think I remember a lot of um, doing a lot of visualization as well and picturing my family and people I knew at home watching on TV and cheering mm. and getting excited by the idea that they'd be somewhere following this result and seeing that I was on the time as well. Mm. I remember that really motivating me in that race as well. And do you use that um, 
in most of your races, that visualization. What, what do you rely on most when you're in that hard part of a marathon? Because I know the parts come and there's never a marathon where they don't, but what mm. do you actually focus in on? Is, is it different for each race for you? It is. Yeah. Every race is really unique. And you know, if, if you named any race, I'd be able to tell you what my motivation was for that particular race. I, yeah, you've got to kind of find your theme for that particular race. I remember the Gold Coast Marathon in 2018. So not the Commonwealth Games, but the one after that. Um, my husband's coach, she'd passed away in, in late 2017. And, you know, she, she was just such a beautiful person and I remember thinking about her a lot during the race and sort of doing it for her and knowing the sorts of things that she would have been saying and uh you know there have been other races where I'm literally just the whole crowd's sort of involved and that's I'm not thinking too much um internally I'm more just looking at the crowd and trying to you know use their energy it, it really depends on the moment and how you've felt leading into that race and what's motivated you in your preparation mm, yeah when you got that qualifying time for the London Olympics was that something that when you were a kid you were thinking was going to happen and if so, when you finally made the qualifying time for the Olympic Games, what went through your head? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty surreal. I remember I finished the race and crossed the line and Adam was there and we celebrated together. And then I was able to talk to my family on the phone. And I'd obviously been standing still for a few minutes. And then I went to move. I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically had to walk backwards for the next couple of days my whole body just seized up but I remember lying in bed that afternoon just in complete happiness um I just yeah kept on thinking is did that really just happen and and then flying back into Australia was really special so it was a childhood dream come true and then the lead up to the Olympics was pretty crazy because I'd not sort of set up my life in a way to, to give myself the space and time and energy, I guess, to really prepare as well as I wanted to. I was juggling quite a, quite a lot of work commitments and felt really um, relieved to arrive in Tombridge where we had our pre-Olympic camp just to start really focusing on the, the job at hand. Uh, I had Lisa Waitman there with me. We were uh, rooming next to each other and... I just soaked up as much as I could. Lisa was my, my buddy and I uh, definitely learned a lot from her uh, that year and, and Michael Shelley and, and the other marathoners. And, you know, it was really special as well. Benita, she hadn't been at the camp, but she'd become my sporting hero at the Sydney 2000 Olympics when I watched her run the five kilometres and she came and signed my Olympic ticket. And I really tried to, I guess, find as much as I could about Benita, uh, I remember, you know, finding the odd magazine article and reading what Benita did. And, you know, I just loved uh, everything that she sort of represented. And then when I stood next to her in London, I was pretty starstruck, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> London was a real learning experience. I really just did go in with wide eyes and thinking, I'm really hopeful that I'll be able to 
you know, make another team in future. So let's make the most of this time now to, to soak it up and, and learn for the future. Mm-hmm. Two seconds. I'm just going to turn yeah, off right. because Billy's a little bit upset upstairs and okay. I can hear them. Do what, you have to do. do what you have to do. <laughs> all right. All good. He's all right. Yeah, uh, Dylan's with him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so was there something in that Olympic experience, like being a first-time Olympian when you walked into that stadium for the opening ceremony? Um, you know, it would have been so exciting. Like, can you talk us through what that experience was actually like for you walking into your first Olympic Games? So we were in Tombridge at the time, which is about an hour out of London. So there was a decision to be made by the athletes really as to whether they wanted to go to the opening ceremony or not, because it was going to be a big journey into the village um, to, to be a part of it. And I decided that I did want to be, I think my race was a week later. So caught the bus um, into the Olympic village and we all sort of had a snack and we were dressed in our um, opening ceremony uniform. And then we started this, walk towards the stadium and it was getting dark and all of the athletes were just buzzing and chatting away and you know we'd been together as an athletics team but suddenly we had all of the other athletes and I spotted my good friend Amy Cure who was there with the cycling team and that was exciting and we gathered outside the uh the stadium and there were cameras around the place and we sort of thought okay we'll we'll be going in soon and then we literally stood there for the entire, you know, lead up to when the march happened. So there's a huge ceremony that happens beforehand and we didn't have a screen. So we couldn't see, we were just all standing out there waiting for our our moment to be able to enter the stadium, wondering what was sort of going on. And, you know, as a marathoner and certainly the other athletes would have been thinking it as well. You're sort of on your feet in these shoes that aren't really you're not familiar with and thinking oh but eventually it was time to go in and Australia obviously goes in as one of the leading countries and and I remember entering and just these blue lights speckled everywhere it was like a, a stadium glittered with fairy lights I don't know every seat must have had a light on it or something so you could hear this noise erupt and all you could see was little blue lights twinkling everywhere and we did our lap and yeah it was it was really amazing did you get to go into the other opening ceremony for the next olympic games no i didn't unfortunately so we were based in florida before rio and so we watched it from from florida but we still had a big athletics team sort of party Mm. uh, which was fun and we got all dressed up uh, but yeah. missed it and we missed the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony as well okay. um, so London's actually the only opening ceremony that I've been to so I am really glad that I went to that one <laughs> yeah absolutely so you have two bronze medals from one from the 2014 Glasgow and 2018 Gold Coast Commonwealth Games marathons getting those medals would you consider those performances the pinnacle of your career or was there other races that you would consider even though you got medals at those the pinnacle for you those two races were very different and both certainly highlights of uh, my my racing I guess the first one I'd had an injury in the lead up to the Glasgow Commonwealth Games and that had been quite an emotional roller coaster because I wasn't familiar with cross training I'd only ever know marathon preppers 
running a lot. <laughs> so being in the gym and finding ways to stay motivated when I really doubted whether what I was doing was going to serve me uh, as well as running training would uh, for the marathon. It was it's quite difficult and I lacked a fair bit of confidence. And my brother, Jack, who was uh, playing for the Melbourne Demons at the time, and he experienced a really nasty navicular stress fracture. He kept reassuring me and teaching me strategies, I guess, to just stay focused on the process one day at a time and not be too daunted by the long-term goal. So I arrived in Glasgow, open-minded, really, uh, I was excited, but just quite unsure about how fit I was. And so to come away with a medal that day, it was particularly emotional because I'd experienced those challenges in the lead up, but then the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast was different again. I was really happy with my preparation and throughout the race, I started to really find it difficult to keep going. And I actually wondered at 37 kilometres whether I'd, I'd actually make it to the finish line. So I experienced the doubt within the race and really just kept, I guess I was fueled by the, the crowd and the Australians out there uh, cheering for us. And so both of those marathons were so special for their different reasons. But the pinnacle race was probably actually the 2017 World Championships uh, where I finished um, ninth because there was a point at 30 kilometres where I was in the lead pack and genuinely sort of realised that I was, you know, up there in the front pack at a world championships and that race itself just gave me so much belief and took my running to another level because I got to experience that feeling of belonging, you know, at that level. So that was a really special uh, race for that reason. And I'd really enjoyed my preparation in uh, St. Moritz at altitude beforehand. It was just a, a really cool um, entire trip. <laughs> mm, I've seen some of those pictures that Eloise posted I think yeah. time running around yeah. the we were in the background. <laughs> I'm like what that looks like heaven <laughs> cool. and you said that you felt like you actually really belonged there at that world level did you really not think that before then I think I'd go into races thinking the time I'm capable of will probably have me in this sort of position like I'd never really gone into a major championship thinking let's get out there and win this but for whatever reason that day I just I was in game on mode and just put myself up there and uh, I think I'd been really happy with my preparation and just attacked it a bit more than some of the others I guess and felt really confident out there running so I think it's all just part of my development as an athlete as well and it took me a good five years of running marathons to to gain that confidence yeah I think it's all part of the whole parcel right too so you're gaining the confidence along the way you're learning all the lessons and and you're doing all the work um, and also I guess what your coach taught you early on about visualizing what you want maybe that day you actually said it out loud that you belong there and that's something you can draw in for the future that you know you do belong at that at that world champion level and I think there's a lot to be said for when we 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 have that negative voice over that positive voice or that voice that's going to push us forward rather than hold us back. So you obviously did that that day. Finishing a marathon is an accomplishment in itself. You're mm. kind of out there just battling the event. So it, it takes, I think, a few marathons to, to 
take it to that next point of actually racing the race and not just thinking about how am I going to get through this distance? It's about, all right, now it's about racing every competitor out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the marathon is a really long race. What do you learn about yourself along the way? Yeah, I think the the art of marathon running is being able to switch between a lot of different, uh, well, be able to use a lot of different strategies. So being able to go from internal thoughts to external thoughts and draw on emotion when you need it, but then be quite uh, mechanical in your approach at other times. So I guess... The Gold Coast specifically, I remember seeing my family early on in that Commonwealth Games race and really just enjoying the atmosphere. So it was a fairly relaxed pace for the first five to 10 kilometres and I I just really did enjoy it and uh, would see people I knew and smile and sort of get, a, get amongst it, but also just trying to find my position in the race and find a relaxed rhythm and make sure I was taking on my hydration and my my fluids and also my my gels early because you need to set yourself up for the later stages in the race. So by kind of halfway, I think that's when you start to to notice the fatigue setting in a little bit more. But prior to that, I try to be quite... Um, I try to think of myself as just a vehicle and I've just got to fuel it. I've got to be efficient. I've got to steer it. I try not to let it be any more complicated than that I just get through that first half and then in the second half you start thinking about okay you know my where do I need to be positioned you know whether it's to try and uh, make moves when you need to or you know protect yourself from wind whatever it may be and then in the very late stages of that particular race as I said I was really worried about how I was feeling I just felt completely empty so I was thinking of my training partner Max Stevens who he'd been preparing with me uh in the the pre-commonwealth games camp I was actually picturing him just ahead of me and I was thinking just stay on Max's shoulder just stay there don't let him get away and there was no one in front of me I was just (laughs) picturing (laughs) exactly having yeah I I was just really breaking it down to breathe one foot in front of the other, relax your shoulders. And then when I did see the girl in fourth and came into third, that really fueled my confidence. And to think I was, you know, in a medal position got me very excited, but I still had to get to the finish line. And when we got to that final rise, Mm. Um, you go down a bit of a hill and turn right to the finish line Mm. going up that rise I could sort of see Lisa ahead of me and I could see the crowd and there was a bit of shade where the crowd was so I tried to sort of stay as close as I could to the crowd to just get their energy get a bit of shade I, I saw my brother and a few friends at one point and then when I saw Lisa turn right, I was like, okay, so that's where the, the finish line's just down. I've just got to get there. And when I crossed the line, I was really quite out of it. I, I couldn't walk straight. <laughs> I was very, uh, feeling very ill. And that in itself is just so satisfying because you know that you've squeezed everything out of yourself. So yeah. yeah. For, for that reason, Gold Coast is a, is a highlight because I really had to, draw on every mental strategy and uh, 
find ways to push myself through discomfort that I hadn't experienced before. <laughs> well, it was an amazing accomplishment. And, and, you know, even just the photos of afterwards, like those beaming smiles, you and Lisa, and, <laughs> and, and even yourself, Jess, as you run, like most races, when I see you running, you have this massive smile on your face. You're obviously hurting inside, but you have this ability to mask it with your smile. <laughs> Yeah, um, there are times when, you know, I just see someone in the crowd I know and I get excited. I think I'm a real people person. So yeah. it just, it's hard not to show my uh, true emotions, even when you are in a race situation. Yeah. And you also bring people alongside you. Like you bring everybody along for that experience. Like you let them in to that experience. Mm-hmm. So the community is really special. You know, even the Running Mums Australia community, seeing people out there in their RMA singlets and hearing people yell out. It's just, Mm. yeah, it is so ironic that I thought I was going into a, um, an individual sport and really worried that I was giving up that team element with netball when there is so much, (laughs) uh, yeah, team, teamwork involved. hundred percent. All right, let's talk about motherhood. <laughs> let's get right into motherhood now. So in 2019, last year, you became a mum for the first time. Yes. For uh, 11-month-old Billy now. 11 months, is that right? He is, yeah. So we're celebrating his first birthday in three weeks, which is wow. very exciting. <laughs> That's amazing to think that he's actually almost one. <laughs> I know. Like yesterday that he was born. So what was that experience like finding out you were pregnant? Was that something that you guys had been working towards or was it a surprise? <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to be a mum and I'm fortunate to be an auntie to two beautiful girls, my sister's two girls. And a couple of years ago, I was starting to think, look, I really am starting to feel like it's time to try and start this process because I didn't know, you know, how easily I'd be able to fall pregnant or whether I would be able to fall pregnant. And I thought I don't want to take it to the point when I really want to have a baby right now. I want to start that process in advance so that I don't feel too stressed if it's not happening straight away. And so Dylan and I at the beginning of 2018 uh, decided that after the Commonwealth Games, we'd go overseas for a couple of months together just to step out of our normal routine and just have a chat about what what we wanted the next few years to look like and see a bit of the world. And as it turned out, uh, we'd booked our flights for sort of early July and I ended up sneaking in the Gold Coast Marathon just Mm -hmm. beforehand and then we went over and really enjoyed our time away. And it was challenging because we were away from our families and our running squads and our normal environments. But that challenge was, was good for us and got us... I guess just really um, stripping down to what we wanted. And I ended up committing to the Toronto marathon, knowing that after that, I wanted to start that process of, you know, trying to get pregnant. And it, I'm so happy that we did choose to do Toronto, but it was a really hard one to prepare for because I didn't have my squad around me. And uh, I found training on my own quite challenging, but uh Dylan was amazing and it was a special race because it was sort of just us over there and uh I running a PB that day was 
was an amazing feeling and kind of exciting that I knew that that was going to be my last marathon for a while. I was kind of almost leaving a carrot there dangling, thinking Mm -hmm. if I can get back to it, you know, uh, I'd like to try and run even faster than this, but it's pretty cool that I've just run a PV and now we're going to start this new adventure. And um, we got engaged at the end of that year and then decided to get married quite quickly. Uh, So that was pretty hectic uh planning a marathon within uh sorry planning a wedding what am I talking about within four (laughs) months but uh we ended up finding out we were pregnant and and due in November so we got married that April and gave birth to Billy in in November and it's been the best I really I as I said always wanted to be a mum but I just didn't realize how incredible it it really would be and just every day is it's it's been the best year despite all of the challenges it's easily just been the greatest and Dylan loves being a dad as well and yeah Mm. oh that's beautiful like it's nice that you've both had that time to stop in a way and sort of think about what you wanted it's almost like this time I guess you've got that time that window of opportunity to think about stripping back the layers and seeing what you really Mm. want what was it that you were really looking forward to most about being a mum? Um, just that feeling of that, I guess, intense love and protection for a little one, which I'd felt with my nieces. And as I said, I was an animal. I've been an animal lover since day dot. My dad's a vet and used to bring home all of these, you know, orphaned lambs. And we had mm. an absolute menagerie in Narracourt and every year when the little chickens would hatch and there'd be a few that we'd need to bring up to an incubator or whatever and I remember just that feeling of protection I had for the little kind of chickens and (laughs) I I was really looking forward to that that feeling of just nurturing um yeah your own little baby and you know everyone talked about the sleep deprivation and for the first four months I sort of thought gee it's really not that bad. I'm not sure why people talk about it. I thought these hormones must be at play because I'm not really noticing it. And then at four months, actually, I think it was 17 weeks, Billy went into a sleep regression. <laughs> and so and ever, the next ever exited <laughs> seven months have really shown me what sleep deprivation is. I've never <laughs> lost so many possessions um, in this awkward moment where you mid-sentence and you forget what you were talking about and you forget what you did the day before when people ask how your weekend was um (laughs) my phone screens permanently cracked because I dropped my phone almost every day so (laughs) it's a wild ride (laughs) it is a wild ride that is for sure oh dear what was some of the things that you were maybe concerned about entering motherhood were there things that you were worried about I think having my um sister and you know mom and dad and brother you know my family around me I always knew that if there were questions I had I'd have people to ask my sister was always the one wanting to babysit babies and change nappies and she was just a real mother from the day she was born I (laughs) 
that didn't seem to sort of come as naturally to me. So I was a little bit worried because I hadn't had all of the practice with changing nappies and whatnot, but that quickly comes. And uh, I think the things I was more nervous about were just, you know, I get worried about health issues and yeah, I'm a bit of a worry wart when it comes to certain things. So just knowing that you're bringing a new little person that you love into the world and there will be times where they're sick or, you know, they have a fall or, you know, the different things that can happen. And there are just so many challenges that you'll inevitably have to navigate as a parent. Uh, It's all part of the process. That's right. And did you find like once you became a mum that this whole world opened up to you in terms of that support of other mums around you that were there to help you with any advice that you needed? For sure. And I mean, I look at my own mum and she really sadly lost her mum when she was 16 years old. So, you know, she raised children. My dad lost his mum before we were born as well. So they raised us without their mums around they didn't have social media then and I compare that sort of situation to to now where I you know put up a picture today of Billy attacking a toilet roll and I have (laughs) I I mentioned you earlier Eloise Wellings who has a son only a couple of days younger than Billy writes in just like oh how gross is their fetish with you know toilets (laughs) and you know just when you put something up and you have some mums right back who can relate or you know talking about teething and you have some people say oh we're going through that at the moment too and you just feel like you're in it with Mm. all of these other people and some of these people you've never met before, but you instantly feel like you can empathise. And um, that that is the beauty of social media. There are a lot of challenges that come with social media too, obviously, but there is that nice community that can be built <laughs> through it. Yeah. And do you have your own mum around? Like, is she close or is she still living yeah. is she in the country? No, so mum and dad have moved to Adelaide now as well. So my sister lives in the country. So she's, uh, you know, three and a half hours away, but comes to visit. Yeah, I feel very fortunate that, you know, my mum and dad and and Dylan's parents are around. And Mm. yeah, yeah. it's a special, it's so special having that family support around, especially for your first baby. Like it's really nice. And did you have any um, things that you had to consider uh, when you fell pregnant, like were you still running and training throughout your pregnancy? So I backed off training quite significantly to help um, be able to um, fall pregnant. And so then when I was pregnant, I I can't remember how many times per week I was jogging up to 14 weeks. It would have probably been every second day or something. And then I started getting pelvic pain um, at the front of my pubic bone. And so I stopped running for a month to let that settle and started cross training. So I got a gym membership and uh, was doing quite a bit of elliptical training and pool sessions. And then at 18 weeks, it sort of came good. I started doing one or two jogs a week. I was mainly just doing Dylan's Sunday run with him, but I was, it was ridiculous I was looking for the nearest toilet about three times throughout the run I'd get to the toilet and I wouldn't actually need to go and it was just becoming a joke (laughs) (laughs) and I just wasn't 
feeling, I guess, getting as much enjoyment um, by about uh, 25-ish weeks. Mm. I, yeah, and that also coincided with it. I think it was 27 weeks. I got this pretty intense cramp one day when I was jogging and I stopped and started walking and I said, Dylan, you go, I'm just going to walk home. Something just doesn't feel quite right. It all just sort of felt tight and I was quite worried. And the next morning woke up and there was this sort of hard area up under my right rib and went to the obstetrician and that's when Billy had flipped into breach and so his head was up under my ribs and things were quite uncomfortable after that so Mm. I was was training from 28 weeks it was in the end and uh sort of waiting to see whether Billy would turn but the obstetrician kept saying I just don't think this baby's going to turn and started to there was much room there Well, I mean, it gave me a lot of weeks to get my head around the idea of potentially having a a cesarean because I'd been starting to, I guess, get myself fired up for, you know, the the natural birth process and I'd um, been doing a few hypnobirthing uh, readings and read a few books and starting to get my toolbox together of strategies that I might use and was thinking, oh, the marathon strategies might come in handy and then suddenly thinking, oh, well, I might not be (laughs) doing that after all. But, you know, Billy came out happy and healthy and and we were just, honestly, the the day of his birth was one of the greatest days ever. (laughs) Yeah. So he did end up having to be delivered by cesarean in the end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And did you feel, because I know as a first time mom, like myself, when I was having my first child, I wanted the same thing. I wanted the natural birth and I wanted, you know, I was reading all the things and I was doing all the classes and, and then it didn't happen for me either. I had a cesarean in the end and I've since had three cesareans now. So I've never actually had a natural birth myself. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I felt like I kind of, missed a little bit of an experience or I got a little bit ripped off or did you feel that way at all? I guess through the cross training I'd been doing, the elliptical training, I'd been listening to Australian birth stories and a few other um, maternity and obstetric podcasts and I'd really, um, I was just so intrigued and was really interested to see what that feeling would be like. But to be honest, since Billy's been born, I haven't thought, about it again so I can't be too worried about it I think it was just a few weeks when I initially found out that you know I'd probably be having a cesarean I might have been a bit disappointed but I've heard so many stories of situations that become quite scary and you know they're like we've got to get this baby out and I'd find it really hard being in that situation um I just think yeah safety safety (laughs) first uh, yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) and you've got a healthy beautiful baby so you know you got delivered in the end that's all that matters so now that you're a mom and you're back training what would a typical training week when you're training towards competition look like for you now having to juggle motherhood and are you back working yet as a physio or still on maternity leave as well? On the training front, basically since the changes that happened with Corona and, and 
not preparing for the marathon anymore, I, I stepped back to doing two sessions a week. So I'd always done the typical sort of Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and now I'm doing Tuesday, Friday sessions. And sometimes there's a bit more in like a bit of a build up run at the end of my Sunday long run. And that's actually been working really well. So we've kept that format. We're finding it's, you know, giving good recovery time. We can get um, a bit more intensity out of those sessions and my whole squad's on that structure at the moment. So training involves yeah the key sessions tuesday friday sunday long run wednesday medium long run and then on monday i do a run in the morning and a, an elliptical session in the afternoon as well as gym i find that cross training just gives me some strengths in other areas that i, I like to i, I want to incorporate that into my training for the long term um thursday i do a bit of a jog and yeah some strides and then Saturday's sort of my easier um, just a light jog or rest day my mileage overall is lower than it typically would be but when I start building up towards another marathon I guess it will increase again but probably not to the the level that I used to I just don't think I really need to try and hit you know 200 kilometers a week anymore once you've sort of got that history uh I don't know that it will be necessary. I was sort of getting ready to start clinic work again. I, I think seen a few clients and then COVID occurred and I stepped back from rather than doing a clinical role, I'm more just involved with different um, health promotion activities, I guess, that the physio clinic's involved with. So some education sessions and and whatnot, and I'm doing some talks uh, through this um, Olympic Committee program. It's called the Unleash Program. So they're delivered online at the moment uh, to school students, um, years four to six, and I'm really enjoying that. And just trying to capitalise on any other speaking opportunities and I guess health promotion ambassador roles at the moment because I find that's easier to juggle with Billy than trying to be uh, building up a list of clients in the physio clinic. Yeah. And do you have lots of support with your family around when you need to do those engagements? Yeah. So my um, parents and Dylan's um, parents here work full time. So with training, it's been a bit tricky. I've got a, a good family friend who's able to babysit Billy for my key Tuesday morning session and then we had another babysitter who could do the Friday morning session. On the weekends, we're fortunate to have family support, uh, but it's required a bit of a juggle of, yeah, babysitters and, and whatnot. So the day generally involves um, morning training and a, a babysitter helping out with Billy either from home or at the training venue. And then um, during his nap, his sleep, um, that's when you know, I can either try and do a home gym session or um, other little jobs and whatnot. And if I do a talk, again, it's sort of seeing who might be available to look after him. And we've just um, been able to get him into a day of childcare, which I'll just try and get most of my work into that day. Um, Dylan's work, uh, he's been able to slot his training sessions into his lunch break so that's really nice he gets home after work and he can just be home with us rather than having to head off to training mm, that's good and that's I guess that's part of the juggle right the mum juggle and the dad juggle 
you just got to sort of fit everything in, weave it all in. And it's helpful when you have that village around you that you can lean on and, and help support you. And that's a common theme, like with most working mums um, that have to juggle those things. It's part of yeah. you know, the holistic approach to having a career and a family. He loves it. Like training days, you know, when he goes out and he's either in the pram or um, like doing a, a lap of the loop or he's out on a mat playing on the grass, watching us run. I, I just, yeah, he, he loves outdoor play. And I think um, he's learning a lot through these different experiences and um, he brings a lot of happiness. <laughs> That's nice that you're able to bring him, you know, bring him along for that journey. And he's part of, he's yeah. immersed in your experience. Um, I know there was a picture that you shared um, after one of your first races back and you were breastfeeding Billy. And I know you've <laughs> shared that you're breastfeeding. There was lots of um, really positive feedback that people were like, like, go Jess, like, you know, mm. being a role model to other mums as well, like showing them that you can do these things, you can do things that you love and then, you know, you mm. just have the baby has to be fed at the end. Like it's just part yeah. of the juggle or before the race. Like in terms of the breastfeeding, like how do you, do you have to time or did you um, have yeah. to time when you were going to be doing that when you're competing? Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel firstly very grateful that I'm able to breastfeed. I, I know that some women can't for different reasons and it's something that Dylan and I were really hoping that we'd be able to offer Billy just um, we sort of believe that there are some some benefits that we were really hoping that we'd be able to um, capitalize on so I early on would express uh, in the mornings before a run like if I sort of fed Billy at a, a certain time and then woke up for my run and um, he wasn't awake or ready to feed yet. I'd often express just to lighten the feeling there uh, because, yeah, it was quite uncomfortable early on. And then um, on race day, I actually, I, I feed him as close to the race as I can. And then obviously after the race, I'm not too worried about, and he fortunately isn't too worried about me being sweaty or whatnot because that happens with training as well. So yeah. morning I'll feed him before training and then I'll feed him after training and then he generally sort of has his his sleep soon after that. But um, I guess I'm fortunate too that I, I love food and I have a big appetite. So through breastfeeding, I've just had to consume so much food and that's to get the calories in, but also just all of the vitamins and minerals. There's a huge, I guess, nutritional demand um, when you're breastfeeding and running. And I still, some, I think only last week, I still went down and <laughs> had a snack in the middle <laughs> of the night. I just, I, I do need to eat so much more and obviously drink a lot more uh, whilst breastfeeding. And, you know, I was hoping I'd sort of be able to wean around, um, you know, when Billy was one, but it's, it's not quite as easy as I thought. It's not just a matter of like, okay, I've decided now that you're going to yeah. start drinking from the bottle. He's really not a fan of the bottle. So we're going through the process of trying to, to work out how that next stage looks, but it's really special. I mean, I, I do love the little breastfeeding cuddles and it's a nice time. Like I was only ever able to breastfeed one of my babies, like my last um, baby. Yeah. and 
it was so special. I just didn't want to stop. <laughs> I think I fed her for 16 months and um, yeah. in the end she stopped. But it was just really beautiful just having that time together. It was really yeah. special and nobody else can do except you, <laughs> which was really nice. I've sort of heard a lot of stories and I did quite a bit of research into, you know, training and endurance training and breastfeeding and the postpartum period and learned about the hormonal changes and the drop in bone mineral density and obviously that was a bit of a concern that I was putting my uh, bones at risk but we've just had to be smart and um, incorporate some cross training and I think being able to obviously as we've said you know take the foot off the pedal a little bit in in that March April period you know, there have been times where I was feeling really drained and I've just been able to make that call straight away and say, okay, I'm going to have a couple of easy weeks here, which had the Olympics been on this year and other big races, I might have felt under a bit more pressure to just keep pushing through. So yeah, in that regard, I've, I've been able to really look after um, myself and, and yeah, it's, it's something that I will miss the, the breastfeeding, you know, the little just wandering hand and those things I'm just starting to notice more and more now because I know that he's getting to an age where he <laughs> yeah. might be weaning soon now um yeah they do just it's crazy how quickly they become big you know mm. uh going to the local coffee shop he was a little baby that would sit quietly in my lap and now he's wanting to crawl everywhere and try and climb up things and yeah <laughs> He's on the move, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Towards toilets. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so you recently returned to a few local races. Um, yeah. How did you feel lacing up again for races after, you know, coming back from having Billy? Like you've trained, you know, consistently over the last, you know, little while since you've had Billy when you've returned back to, to training. Mm -hmm. But how did it feel to actually stand on the start line of a race after having a baby? It was really exciting. My first ever race was just a little, um, it's called the Synergy League Athletics. It was a bit of a, an Adelaide uh, version of kind of like the Nitro series that happened in Melbourne a while back. And so it was a really fun event, a teams-based um, point system and yeah having Billy there when I crossed the line in my 3k was was really exciting and that was the first sort of official race but then obviously through the winter I did some cross-country races and Billy's that much older that he could sort of engage with me more and so running up to give a kiss before the race just immediately it puts life in perspective and the situation you're in into perspective and um relaxes you but also gives you a little bit more motivation you know you you realize that what you're doing um is demonstrating i guess a, a healthy and active lifestyle to your young one and whilst he's not really able to fully comprehend what's going on at the moment i think just seeing runners go by and whatnot it's just starting to plant you know some curiosity as to <laughs> what it's like and starting to build that love for the outdoors and yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed all of the races that I've done and I feel like there's less pressure because I've got a new, a new body really that I'm working with. So I'm not comparing to previous results in racing or in, in training. It's kind of like the, the slate's been cleared and everything I do is from a new baseline, which is pretty cool. 
Mm, I really like that perspective. Would you say like, you know, after having a baby, you have to contend with a lot of change, obviously. And one of those things you just touched on is that you do have a new body. Like you have a very different body and every woman who has a baby goes through that experience where things just aren't where they were before. Did that affect you in an emotional or mental way? Um, Did you feel self-conscious in your new body? I have to say I felt a bit self-conscious with um, like my, you know, the breastfeeding boobs in the the crop tops are really um, low cut. And so I've occasionally gone to put on a sports bra. So I, I tend to wear two sports bras um, because I just don't feel comfortable with the, the support of one. Mm. And by the time you've put two up and then you see a bit of, you know, side boob out of the crop top and whatnot, <laughs> you just sort of think, oh, God, and you just try changing and putting something else on. And I've, I've got now my favourite kind of two that I wear for races that kind of yeah don't don't show as much and also trying to pick one that you can feed in so I've just really had to um get comfortable with just pulling out both crop tops and trying to put a bit of a a cover over me and um you know you, you do just um lose a bit of that sense of caring what's happening around you and you're just in the zone and just forget that people can see what's happening you you just do what needs to be done but that and also um I've got a bit of a, an umbilical hernia, which isn't major, but I've had to be so careful with my gym work now. I'm constantly looking down because if I get that bulging, I know that it's accentuating that. And it happened during pregnancy and I was aware of it at the time and um, sort of thought, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, whatever, that'll probably sort itself out. But I do have to take extra care now and it's it's quite obvious in, like, I can just, when I look down my belly button pokes out now and it didn't used to and so that's a bit of a change that just makes me have to be a lot more conscientious in the the gym now with anything I'm doing that involves using my abdominals which is basically every exercise because you know I think it is a thing with a lot of women around their body like you know a lot of women struggle with their body in general Mm. and I guess um, we see what athletes you know what people think athletes should look like Mm. athletes look totally different to each other yet they're still an athlete um but i think a lot of people will struggle with how their body changes after having kids and things are looser and we have to be more careful i guess but also that perception of what our body looks like throughout our life because it changes throughout every i guess Mm. a different season in our lives and as we get older other things happen to our body but i'm just i'm really um mindful of of um issues around body image especially with women Mm. uh, especially with mums too because we have had to go through so much change with our bodies and i really like to share um body positivity because um, women who run come in all different shapes and sizes and Mm. and our bodies are a vehicle to our dreams and to our potential we don't have to have one particular way of looking I guess yeah I just find a lot of women struggle with that especially athletes it is all about your self-talk and how you perceive it I mean you can look at your tummy and um any scarring you might have or or stretch marks or whatever and um say oh I didn't used to have that or you could say that's a sign of 
me having been able to give birth and it's a you know it's a reminder that you, you have a baby that came <laughs> you know mm. from there it's incredible that that the body's capable of doing that you can look at lines on your face um and say oh they didn't used to be there or say that's a sign that i've been smiling a lot and i mean mm. as a mum, when you've got a baby there you're just constantly smiling to the point where you you know cheeks are hurting sometimes and your eyes you know <laughs> it's like it is all just how you you want to look at it and i um, had a beautiful little uh, book called charlie's tales which actually shared something about it today it's talking about um the fact that we all come in different shapes and sizes and to embrace your unique body and, and really value it. And it's um, a series that's come out, particularly um, for young girls, I think just it's, it's just emphasizing the different um, characteristics of all the little characters and what they can do. You know, one can jump high, one can sprint, one can throw a ball well and um, they solve a problem together using their different skills. And it's really cute. And I, I love that message. Mm, I really love that message too. You'll have to send me that um, a link to that where we can get yeah, that book sure. and I can put it in the show notes. Yeah. When you returned to running after having Billy, like what things did you have to consider coming back after having a baby? And would you, you know, and share that with people that might be considering coming back now after having either their mm -hmm. first pregnancy or any pregnancy really? Um, Coming back yeah. to running. When I gave birth, obviously it was um, via cesarean, so I can't speak, um, yeah, from a natural birth perspective, but from a cesarean perspective, my abdominal muscles were absolutely <laughs> gone, as you know, as you can imagine, they're, they're basically, uh, yeah, very much interfered with during the process there. So I couldn't sit up out of bed, I couldn't twist without quite sharp pain I couldn't laugh for the first couple of weeks I found it really difficult because you know I remember one night my family my parents were here and, and dad was telling funny jokes and I was like dad you just have to stop like I really it's really hurting me to laugh please just don't be funny for this one time um and so my primary goal was to just get some activation back through my abdominals and as I said I had quite a separation um, from pregnancy and then trying to get back um, you know get the closure there so I was really focusing on basically any exercise that I could feel was um, bringing those abdominal muscles back together and reducing that separation so it was just a matter of palpating doing the exercises if I could feel the muscles coming back together I knew it was doing its job and I think that's kind of a word of advice to anyone coming back from um, pregnancy giving birth is to really get to know your body and to feel what's happening because a physio or anyone can sort of give exercises. You can see exercises on the internet, but they won't always be um, doing what you're hoping they're doing. So make sure you, you feel and look and, and check that the right thing's happening. Uh, I did a lot of walking and then I think at around three weeks, I might've just added in a little bit of elliptical. I had a women's health physio check up at four weeks and so she did an internal assessment and just made sure my pelvic floor was activating switching off doing all of the right things had the endurance and once I got the all clear there I was able to just start um, gradually introducing some jogging as as you know I felt 
was appropriate. Um, Adam didn't set any sort of program until I think by 10 weeks, um, he started to just give me a little bit more structure until then it was just, I was going by feel and uh, just aiming to get my functional stability back really. And running was one way of, of doing that jogging. And then, you know, quite a few home exercises. I was doing daily home exercises. Sometimes we can think that it's, you know, that we need to rush back in, but I think it's important to be careful, especially after giving birth, um, no matter what way you give birth, whether natural birth or by cesarean. I like what you said about getting checked out by a women's um, physio. I think that's really a really important tool. And I know some of the girls that I've um, been involved with in RMA, I've always um, encouraged them to get checked out with a yeah. physio before they return to running after having a baby. Um, and yeah, just knowing your body. I think it's, you know, when you're ready. And sometimes that's a lot longer than other people. Like, so everyone's individual, but don't rush it. When you're ready, come back in slowly. And yeah, obviously do the right things, get checked out. Yeah, and acknowledge that you are at a high risk of injury as well. The hormonal changes that occur cause, you know, a bit of joint laxity. And it's shown that when you're breastfeeding, your bone mineral density tends to, you know, drop a bit. So there are a few extra risk factors there, which make returning to running gradually even more important. But I think to the women's health side of things, I was quite daunted by the prospect of having an internal examination. Like I think a lot of people are, but the feedback you get is so valuable. And you've got to just remember that these physios are doing it like, those sorts of examinations multiple times, you know, every day, and they don't even think twice about it. You know, it's, it's, mm. you've just got to put any embarrassment aside and try and just normalize the process. Cause I really think um, every woman should have that who wants to return to running just to make sure they're not putting their bodies um, yeah, at an unnecessary risk. Yeah. Um, do you think now that you're, purpose might have changed with your running career after being a mum? Yeah, look, there were times uh, early on when I was a mum where I'd just get out the door and I'd be like, oh, it's just, I can't believe I'm running again because I'd had that time off running through pregnancy and I was just so excited to be able to run. Uh, and now, yeah, I guess I just, running is another opportunity to add I guess enjoyment to my life but it's not the only thing that's going to bring happiness to each day you know I've got I guess every day there are a lot of opportunities to smile and you know running just adds to to that big picture but it's um, certainly the pressure's off in a sense because uh, I feel happy um, regardless yeah <laughs> I guess I've always been a big advocate for physical activity because I just obviously the physical benefits are great but also the mental benefits I really do believe that you know sense of satisfaction that comes from challenging yourself and all of the little uh, challenges that you're constantly overcoming uh, build your resilience that help you in other areas of life and make you more confident generally and even the people you meet through sport are often quite uh, ambitious and positive people and so I've always had this desire to try and encourage more people to be active 
through physio work with adults and then through talks to children. So through my running, I guess that's another purpose is, is being able to have a, a platform and an opportunity to try and inspire others to, to be active. So I still have big goals with my running and I'm really excited to, to chase them. But my why in a way has become a lot wider and more diverse. (laughs) Absolutely. Has there been any particular person or people on your journey that you've looked up to and wanted to follow? And they don't necessarily have to be a runner, just somebody that has inspired you along the way in your journey that that's a person that you would think has been an integral part of your experience? Mm, There have been so many people and, you know, I'll start by saying my family, like my parents have always, I've just really always respected them and looked up to them and they've taught the three of us, my siblings and I values that I think have really helped me um, in in sport you know just that appreciation for for the environment and and nature and the outdoors and so I I really look up to my parents and you know brother and sister and certainly as I said my brother helped me through uh, some of those injury challenges and I I just look up to him and the way he's navigated his AFL career and some of the the challenges that he's faced I mean yeah there's there's a long list of um things that you know, he's, he's worked through as a footballer and, uh, and he just stays so positive and turns every, I guess, step back into an opportunity to grow. Yeah, I guess the, the people I really look up to the most are the people directly around me, you know. Yeah. Dylan, um, the way he remains so calm and always instills belief, uh, you know, my coach. And I probably... I could go and name a whole lot of, you know, big athletes and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but it's those people who are closest to me that have the biggest impact. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that shines through a lot, even on your social media, Jess, like there's so many photos of you and your family because they're the people (laughs) that are so important to you. And, and I think when it's all stripped away, they're the people that believe in you the most out of everybody is your family Mm. Um, and you'd think the same about your own child and any aspirations that they have Um, and those pictures even just from the Adelaide half that you ran a few weeks ago (laughs) of your family at the end like they're just beautiful and you can just see how proud they are of you and not everybody has that not everybody has that support of a really supportive family so it is really special to be able to have that on your journey. Uh, Before we wrap up, I wanted to mention the business that you have with Dylan and is it your brother? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Rundies and Ross. Um, But let's talk about that just really quickly. Um, What is Rundies? They are a partner of the RMA uh, member program as well. Um, So you can get 20% off. Just putting a little (laughs) plug in there if you're a member of the RMA program um, this year and next year. Um, but what is Rundies and why did you guys start that little side business? So in 2015, so I met Dylan in at the end of 2014 and then had already planned in 2015 to 
moved to Melbourne for the year. And while I was away, I just, I was living kind of in a little um, granny flat type situation with um, the two people who lived in the main house. They were very entrepreneurial and it was quite um, inspiring. Just, you know, the, the dad had started a few businesses of his own. And I remember saying I had you know, my favourite running undies that I'd purchased um, overseas and I just couldn't find any like it anywhere and expressing my frustration, I guess, that you can't just sort of find, you know, like shoes, you can just go and reorder the Kayanos or whatever, like undies I just found, there weren't many options and you couldn't just get the same, your favourite undies over and over. And I, th I think I was chatting a bit to Dylan and Jack about it. And, you know, Jack was wearing speedos for footy matches. And we just started to do a bit of research to see if there was a bit of a gap in the market because I was obviously getting frustrated. Jack was wearing speedos. And whilst <laughs> we were doing that, we came up with this idea of like running undies, rundies. And we were like, that's a pretty cool idea. And yeah. the people who I was living with said, well, you've got to go and, you know, get the trademark. You should do it. And he really encouraged us. And so then we got in touch with you and you were amazing and sent out a bit of a survey to all of the, to the running mum community at the time. And so we kind of got the, you know, feedback as to what colour, shape, priorities, like characteristics, you know, people would want to see in in their running undies and Dylan being an engineer sort of came up with the materials and the design and started communicating with the manufacturer and I guess I sort of just had my straight out you know favorite pair of underwear that I wanted to try and you know <laughs> replicate because I knew what I liked yeah <laughs> and then Jack with footy sort of had a few specific needs to you know what a football player would want and so we came up with these designs and uh, had a bit of fun with it and decided that you know if it was to progress and become a bigger business it would be a really great platform and a way to give back to the running community you know we thought imagine if we could help to sponsor a couple of up-and-coming athletes and support some events and it's still to this day a, I guess a side venture for us we um we just kind of when a little bit of money builds up we reinvest it to come up with a new design or a new product yeah. like the crop tops or we help maybe a, a local athlete with some flights to a race or whatever and it's it's been really fun there's sort of no pressure because mm. it, we've got our um our other sort of jobs on the side but it is it's becoming a bit more time consuming these days so part of my work each day is is shipping out the rundies and and organizing the office and entertaining Billy while I'm doing that. So he <laughs> plays with, um, yeah, boxes and whatnot in the yeah. office. But I've definitely made a few, um, yeah, entertaining errors <laughs> over the uh, <laughs> the months with sleep deprivation. And the, yeah, rock bottom was when I sent off a big order with literally no no name address nothing just the return to sender sticker on the back so <laughs> i've done that before back. myself <laughs> well it came back an insufficient address which was such a joke because there was no address 
had to apologise to the recipient of that parcel and quickly send out a new package. <laughs> At least you can send like a G-string or something to <laughs> yeah. a guy or you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, it is great. It is great to be able to have that and and it is there is a gap in the market for that. Most definitely <laughs> there is and hopefully people listening, you know, we get a lot of listeners to the podcast. Um, so Rundies, everyone, um, go and check them out. What's the website? It's just rundies.com.au. But even if people have ideas or feedback, like please let us know because uh, we don't have obviously staff working for us who are coming up with all of these creative ideas and putting a lot of time into it. But if we get some feedback and ideas, we can sort of put it to the put it to our little uh, team and the manufacturers and see what we can come up with. I actually wanted to quickly touch on too before we finished about your drawing because, you know, I think it's really important that as people we have a balance in our life and obviously you have your work and you're a mum and you you run and you train um, and compete but you also love to draw and you are a very, very talented artist. How did you start drawing? What what made you um, get into drawing? What did you enjoy about that? Uh, I've been obsessed with art, craft since oh, I was a very young girl. I remember one of my um, good friends, Alice Montfries, who lived up the street from me in Narracourt, we collected these um, art magazines and on the weekends we'd go to each other's houses and literally just sit in the art room and, you know, make things. And it's just been something I've loved doing since I was a young girl. So I kind of... Oh, in 2016, I did a few like uh, acrylics on canvas um, for a friend and I did art sort of in high school and then I hadn't done it for years. And then when Dylan and I were overseas in 2018, I was feeling really homesick at one point and where we were based in Hilversum in the Netherlands, there were just dogs everywhere in the park mm. where we were running. And so I think as a way to sort of just you know, distract myself from being homesick. I did a few sketches of dogs and then I did a bit of a social media competition where I, um, I can't even remember what the competition was. It was something about um, what breed of dog, that's it, is the best running partner and people wrote in and then I, I drew a few people's dogs and then it just sort of turned into, yeah, this, um, uh, I guess rekindling my uh, love for doing sketching, uh, doing sketches and, of animals. And then a good friend of mine in Adelaide recently started painting dogs on canvases. And so I started having a go at that as well. And just a few people, you know, maybe it was a spouse's birthday coming up or someone lost an animal and were just sort of asking if I could paint or draw their animal. And so for a while there during COVID, I just started doing that again, but uh, things have become a bit busy again and I haven't had the opportunity to, to get back to it, but I know it's just one of those things that I can always pick up when I, mm. when I have the time. Um, but yeah, as, as I said, Billy's kind of on the move now and the idea of getting pencils and paintbrushes out, it's a bit daunting because that all end up in his mouth. And yeah. <laughs> So, you know, those listening, if you can get a chance to <laughs> check out Jess's drawings on her Instagram, um, which we will have in the show notes, but yeah, don't, don't lose touch with that. I think you've got a real talent <laughs> there and you should definitely keep going. 
you could start one of those um champagne and art yes yeah yeah i've seen them we've got one in adelaide like a wine and cheese and painting you could do a drawing one a drawing session it's funny his mum actually said something like that a few months ago i was like that is not a bad idea (laughs) all right um so we always finish off the podcast with the rma hot lap so the first question is that snacks are important in a marathon Mm-hmm. And we all love them. And we know you love your snacks too. Um, so what are your favourite race snacks, we'll call them? So <laughs> do you mean like during the marathon? During, yeah, during uh, the marathon. Very boring during. It's just gels. But my favourite gel flavour is the, um, there's a banoffee, you know, banana, like banoffee pie. There's a talk banoffee pie flavor and an apple crumble flavor because they're two of my favorite desserts so yeah when I'm going for that gel I just imagine I'm eating a banoffee pie <laughs> eating an apple crumble <laughs> at like 37 kilometers of a marathon you've got to find something to kind of excite yourself <laughs> yeah for sure do you ever actually have banoffee pie after the marathon <laughs> No, I'm always craving something savoury after the marathon. Generally, it's more like a burger and sweet potato fries with, you know, salt. And I think after the gels, you just can't, yeah, handle sugar so well. No, absolutely. Um, what can't you go without on a long run? Oh, I run these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I guess. Oh, I have to say fresh air. I really can't stand a long run when you're running along like a busy freeway where there's fumes. I just, I need fresh air. I really just irks me when I'm breathing in um, the diesel kind of (laughs) carbon monoxide fumes. (laughs) Uh, What is your favourite thing to wear when running? No, keep going back to Rundies. Rundies, that's fine. Rundies and then I've been wearing Asics shoes since 2013 and so I don't really know any different. I love wearing my my favourite Asics um, shoes for, for my runs as well. Awesome. And they're one of your sponsors, aren't they, Asics? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've awesome. been amazing. Good. Um, what would you like Billy to say about you? Uh, that I love him and that I, um, respect the people around me, but also myself, I guess I want him to see that we respect ourselves and others. (laughs) Mm, That's nice. Okay. The last question is what is one word to sum up your journey so far? Um, one word, I think growth. I look back now and just, you know, things that I thought were just crazy goals. It's amazing what can happen if you just chip away. So growth in a lot of areas is how I would sum it up to this point. (laughs) Mm, Most definitely. And, you know, from where you've come, how far you've come from, you know, the beginning to now, and there's so much more to come, Jess. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today on the podcast. I hope lots of women get a lot of inspiration out of it and um, 
yeah, we look forward to following on in the future to come. Where can people find you on social media or follow along your journey? Uh, well, I do enjoy Instagram. I think being a very visual person, I've always loved photography and I just love what you can capture in a photo. So that um, being my favourite is at Jess underscore trend. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what my art one is. I think it's, yeah, it's AJ Sten underscore art. But yeah, that's, and then I think my Facebook page is just Jessica Trengove. Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah, have a website I, as well. Yeah, and that's www.jessicatrengove.com.au. So I'm still just gradually transitioning to the Stenson surname because it's a bit hard to mm. sort of change all of the the names on websites and whatnot. But um, I just want to say thank you to the Running Mums community as well. I've just, oh, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, when you, even when I've written a few little race summaries and blogs and whatnot, and just the way people support um, everyone and the runs I've been on with Running Mums, and I just love what you've created. It's really special. So, to everyone out there, keep up the great work. And I love what I, you know, see and read and, you know, seeing Katie, what she wrote after the um, Adelaide Marathon. I just really enjoyed that story. And it's mm. so nice. We can all relate to each other. And, yeah. It's oh, a thank you. <laughs> yeah, that is what's so special about RMA is that everybody's on their own journey and there's women that are starting their first step right up to people that are running at the Olympics, like, you know, but everybody's on their own journey, but everybody respects each other's journeys and gets alongside each other and builds each other up. And that's what's so amazing about this community is that it's so supportive. Um, I never would have imagined what it would have become and, and hopefully you know, God willing, I can continue to do it for a long time and and it will continue to help a lot of women. So, and thank you for being part of it and sharing your story with all those women as well because I know they love watching on your journey. And um, yeah, we'll we'll just watch this space, see what happens at the art class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But thanks, Jess. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens next year. I'm sure exciting things are coming next year for you too.